Awesome. Thank you, Jade. Um, my name is John. I'm the pastor at New Song. So glad to join uh, you guys can join us this morning. I also want to mention we have Bibles uh, provided on our back table and our info table. So we're a church that believes that the Bible is God's word to us. So we, that means we spend a good amount of time uh, each Sunday morning uh, thinking deeply about God's word. So if you don't uh, own a Bible, you can grab one of those Bibles and take it home uh, as a gift from us to you. Also, as mentioned, uh, if you want to connect with us as a church, uh, have questions, about uh, one of the ministries. On our uh, bulletin, we have a place where you can put your name and your email. You can slip that into the offering box after service, and we'd love to connect with you. Well, before I give uh, the, the teaching this morning, I want to invite up uh, Matt Walton, and his wife Stacy joins us this morning. He is part of the, um, the Good News Clubs that he's going to be sharing about and an opportunity for our church to be involved in reaching people for Jesus uh, in this school, in our neighborhood. So I'm going to have uh, <clears throat> Matt come up, and you guys welcome him and, and his wife. We have Lays for them, and Kelly and Colton are going to be giving it to them. Thank you so much. Aloha and good morning. My wife is always a little nervous when she has to come up the front, but that's okay. I'm going to do all the talking. But um, it's great to see some familiar faces here from the hymn conference that we uh, have our booth at lots of times, and I was talking with Misty, and she mentioned that you guys actually prayed for me a year ago. Um, I, I won't get into that, but maybe sometime I can get back here. But a year ago, I was actually getting out of a coma in North Carolina and was miraculously healed from something that was very serious. And, but really thankful for the opportunity to talk with John about our ministry and to partner with you. And just the little time that we've been here seeing, you know, the importance on the gospel, the importance on God's word, you know, that's right up where we're at. You know, we love God's word and we love being able to share that with children. The ministry here uh, is called Child Evangelism Fellowship. It's been around since 1936. And our vision overall is that every child around the world has a chance to hear the gospel. And so here in Hawaii, I'm the state director for this ministry. And, oops, sorry, it's stretched. I didn't, I didn't know which format to put it in. You can just turn that off because I'll just do it without slides because they're not formatted for that. And then uh, when we came in 2012, God gave us a vision for the ministry here. I was in youth ministry before coming into CEF. And that vision for, specifically for Hawaii is that every child on every island can hear the gospel by the age of 12. Think about that for a second, that every child on every island can hear the gospel by the age of 12. Do you think if that were a true statement today that Hawaii would look different? I think it would. Because if God's word is permeating our, our communities and God's word is being presented to the children, we know that God's word does not come back void. And that children specifically are more likely to respond to the gospel than any other age bracket that you look at. And so if you're thinking strategically about where to put your efforts and your energies and your times, someplace like this elementary school is one of those strategic places to think about. But our ministry is not just a school year ministry. It's also summer ministry. I'm going to touch on that just real quickly. And John wanted me to share about our summer ministry because we do something called five-day clubs. And this is where we train teenagers, middle schoolers, and high schoolers to serve as summer missionaries here. And they lead backyard Bible clubs called five-day clubs. We do those in parks, in homes, uh, churches, wherever there's, there's children. And this may be an opportunity for us to partner this summer. We provide the teens. We train them. Uh, actually, if there's teens in this church that want to participate, we'd love to have them come join us. Uh, your church basically hosts, 
And then as children come to Christ in that club, because the gospel is presented every single day in that club, then your church would do the follow-up with those parents and communicate with them, say, you know, we have a church that meets here at the elementary school on Sundays, and this is an opportunity for you to be connected. But the main reason that I'm here is to present or talk about something called the Good News Club, and we have some information on the table back there uh, if you want to talk to us afterwards. But in a nutshell, the Good News Club is a once-a-week after-school Bible club that meets at public elementary schools here in Hawaii. Now let that sink in. Some of you are thinking, how is that possible? Is that illegal? It's not illegal. We're not asking you to do anything illegal. So here in Hawaii, the law clearly states that every public school campus is considered a public use facility once the school day is over. So any organization can fill out a facility use request form and have any kind of program they want. Wiccans could have a program. Mormons could have a program. Jehovah's Witness could have a program. And of course, Christians can have a program. And what we do as a ministry is we come alongside local churches like yours, give them the information and the knowledge they need in order to fill out the form and establish this club at the schools, train the volunteers, do the background screening, get it launched. And once it launch, launches at that elementary school, it becomes a self-sustaining ministry of that local church. And as children come to Christ in that club, and again, every week we share the gospel clearly with the children in that, in that club. And as children come to Christ in that club, the church does the follow-up again. So the church is contacting the parents and saying, hey, Johnny made a decision for Christ in our Good News Club this past Wednesday. We'd love to talk with you more about that. We'd love to invite you to come to our church. And so this works really well as an outreach to the lost in the community as well. As you know, here in Hawaii especially, it's all about relationships. And if you show unconditional love to someone's child they're more likely going to be able to listen to you when you invite them to something that your church may be having here. And of course, strategically, your church is meeting here at the elementary school. So this is a perfect location for that. And so if, as you're hearing about this, you're interested in learning more, we'd love to talk with you more afterwards. Uh, again, we have flyers and stuff at the back to talk more about it. The main thing that we're looking for, for to launch is five volunteers who are willing to give once a week after school for about two hours for six weeks at a time. So it's not a year-round commitment. It's six weeks at a time, once a week after school, and we just need those five volunteers. So we provide the training in the curriculum, and once it gets launched, kids start to come. You know, I can answer questions about how you advertise and all that fun stuff as well. But every place that we've launched a Good News Club, it's been successful. And lost children have been coming. Lost children have been hearing the gospel and, and accepting Christ as their Savior. Children have been joining churches as a result of that. We have one church, C4 Kahala that at one time had three Good News Clubs at different elementaries that they sponsored because they saw children come to Christ. They saw their families begin to come to their church, hear the gospel, accept Christ as their Savior, and now their whole family was a part of that church. So if you're looking for an opportunity to really have an impact here at this elementary school in this community, love to talk story more about this. Uh, but again, just thank John for the opportunity to plant that seed with you. And hopefully we can see what God does here because this is a perfect location. Right now we don't have any actually in this whole valley. We have 15 across the state, one on Maui, one on Molokai, and the rest here on Oahu. Uh, we're just kind of scratching the surface of the 205 elementary schools that are left to go. So thank you in advance for your prayers. Uh, if you feel like you're, God is kind of nudging you, or even if you know right now that you can't possibly have that time after week, uh, once a week to do that because of your work schedule, I ask you just to pray. Pray for those that God is going to call up. Pray for the school that they'll be ready when the time comes for us to meet with the principal. And pray for all those volunteers who say yes and have that opportunity. So thank you again. Awesome. And remember, every child on every island by the age of 12 having the chance to hear the gospel. And we'll see what God does with that. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you so much. Amen. So blessed for Matt and Stacey to come in and sharing their vision. And let's just go ahead and pray for... Um, these good news clubs and 
this community. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for um, these good news clubs that are going on in different parts of the island. And we pray that, Lord, that every child would hear the good news of Jesus Christ on, on this island. And uh, we pray for the clubs that are already meeting in the multiple public schools that more and more children would hear about it and more and more children would receive uh, Jesus as their Savior and as their King. And Lord, that, that would happen in this valley and in this school, Lord. And so we pray uh, for your will to be done. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, uh, before we jump into today's uh, passage of Scripture in Luke 15, I wanted to share and update you on our um, uh, transition from from New Song Church to Harbor Church. So we've been for about three years uh, informally partnering with Harbor Church. They have three... uh, uh, churches, one in Kaka'ako, one on the North Shore, and one on the West Side. And so we as New Song have been just friends and, and doing different ministry uh, uh, opportunities together for about three, three and a half years. And so um, in February, we're actually going to be adopted into their family of churches, and we will be a Harbor Church uh, coming in February, so in, in, in a few weeks. So we'd be called Harbor Nu'uanu uh, beginning February, Super Bowl Sunday. And so um, it's been a, a time of, of prayer as a church. We spent months just praying and, and thinking about what best accomplishes uh, God's mission and vision that he's given our unique church. And we sense that partnering with Harbor Church uh, is a direction that he is leading us. And so we have just a few more Sundays as New Song. And then uh, on the first Sunday in February, we're going to just have a celebration service as Harbor Nu'uanu. So if we just have questions about that, maybe you're like, oh, it's the first time hearing about it, or you, you have just questions on how that transition will look like, uh, you can feel free to talk to me or one of the other leaders, Mike or Jeff, after service, and we can just fill in any administration details or any questions that, that you may have and see if we can answer them. So um, with that, I'm going to transition to this morning's uh, passage. So uh, I've been gone for a couple weeks. It's been nice. We've been on our trip in a uh, family trip in Pennsylvania. And uh, I got this nasty scratch in my face, and people have been asking me about it. And I'd love to say that I was snowboarding there, and I fell, and, uh, and the, you know, the branches ripped me up. But that wasn't. My one-year-old son on our layover flights was just having a hard time, and he ended up grabbing my face and giving me a good old scratch. So, uh, so yeah, it's not a snowboarding accident. It's my one-year-old son. And so uh, that's why I got this, this nasty scratch on my face. Uh, but... Uh, We're closing out this morning our series in Isaiah, God With Us. We've been thinking deeply about the different titles that are attributed to Jesus uh, in the book of Isaiah. So we looked at Jesus as the cornerstone, Jesus as the Redeemer, the Prince of Peace, uh, Jesus as Mighty God, as Wonderful Counselor. And so we're going to finish this morning thinking about the title of Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Uh, Isaiah uh, writes this, records this in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, that Jesus is uh, the everlasting Father. We're going to be thinking about what that, means, uh, what that means and what that means for us. You know, someone to ask you this morning, um, how should we address God in prayer? When we're praying to God, how are we supposed to address them? Well, the Bible never uh, leaves us in the dark. Jesus actually teaches us how we're to primarily pray to, to God. And we know that if you know the Lord's Prayer as, as Father. 
the primary way, I mean, think about this, the primary way that God wants us to address him is not Lord, is not God, not Master, not King, but the primary way that God wants us to address him as, is, is his Father. Isn't that fascinating? Father. Now, when that word comes up, Father, Dad, there's just a lot that's attached to it. There's a lot that's attached to it. You know, for some of us, uh, maybe you've grown up in an abusive household. And so when you hear the word father, that has no good, warm, affectionate feelings. There's fear, pain, anger, bitterness. Because maybe for some of us, you had an emotionally abusive father, a verbally abusive father, a physically abusive father. And so that word just makes you cringe rather than gives you affection and joy. Others of us, we didn't really know our biological father growing up, right? Our our father wasn't around. They abandoned us uh, at infancy or in childhood, uh, divorced or maybe cheated on our mom. And so when we think of father, there's there's maybe not anger or hurt from, from physical abuse, but maybe there's just apathy. Like there's just nothing that stirs up in us. You hear father, it's like, okay, father. But there's no emotional attachment that comes with it. Now, maybe others of us, you hear father, and maybe you've lost your dad. And maybe you had a really good dad that was there for you, uh, that loved you. And, and there's sadness because your dad is no longer around. And then there's others of us, maybe our dad is living, and, and he's generally a good father. And so you have good feelings that are attached to it. And so the point I'm trying to make is, is when we think about this morning, this title, Everlasting Father, we bring to it this baggage and we bring to it definitions and terms uh, that the Bible never attaches to fatherhood. In fact, for us, my, my encouragement for us is um, our biological father does not define fatherhood. Think about that. Our biological father does not define what it means to be a father. In fact, God is not a reflection of our earthly father. God is not a reflection of our earthly father. God is the perfection of what it means to be a father. God is, I'll say that one more time, right? God is the perfection of what it means to be the father. He is the ultimate uh, definition. Also, this is what it means for us. What that means is we have to take our own picture of father and all the, you know, the, the, the ideas we've accumulated from our own experience with our biological father, and we have to filter it based upon what the Bible teaches fatherhood is. So, for example, if you had a father who blew up at you growing up, or a father that just has a big temper tantrums, right? We might think that God is a God of temper tantrums, so we better not mess up because God's going to strike us down. And so we bring to the table this, this wrong view of God based upon our biological father. So we have to filter that out. Or maybe we had an absent father. And so when we think of fatherhood, we think, oh, okay, there's this distance and detachment. There's no emotion to it. We have to filter that out because that's not the biblical definition of father. So my main goal this morning, as, as we look at the scriptures, here's my main hope for us, is that for some of us, maybe who have been hiding from God, 
because we're fearful of him, we would come out of hiding and come to him. Those of us who feel apathetic towards God, non-emotional towards God, or distant towards God would experience closeness with God, our Father, this morning. Or maybe for some of us who are experiencing closeness with God, that we would experience even deeper intimacy um, this morning. And so we're going to do that by thinking about one of the greatest illustrations of God as our Father uh, in Luke 15. Uh, so that's where we're going we're to spend most of our time. But first, we're going to think about why is Jesus called the Everlasting Father in Isaiah chapter 9? Uh, because that, that's, uh, that can be really uh, confusing. So I think I have this up, up here on the slide. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us, Isaiah is writing, to us a child is born. That's Jesus. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Right? He is the true king. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor. We, we, we thought about that a couple months ago. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. So Jesus is given this title, Everlasting Father. Now, what does that mean, right? So Isaiah was not confusing the, the members of the Trinity. He, was not, he wasn't getting it messed up, mixed up. You see, what Christians believe is that God is one God and three persons. One God, three persons. The Father is God. The Son, Jesus, is God. The Holy Spirit is God. They're one God, yet three persons. So Isaiah wasn't, when, when, when Isaiah writes down everlasting father, he wasn't saying that Jesus is the father in the Trinity. He wasn't mixing that up. So what does Isaiah mean? What, what does the scriptures mean by, by Jesus being called everlasting father? Well, there's, there's two ways we can think about this. I, I would encourage us to think about it. The first way is this. Well, let, let's, let's tackle the first term the easier term, everlasting, eternal. Jesus is the forever father, the everlasting father. You know, we've had parents, uh, the parents that are given to us, our biological parents are temporary, right? For some of us, like, like my father, I lost my father already. And so our biological parents are temporary. They're not, they're not gonna be our parents eternally. So we have them for a moment and then they're gone. But God is different. God is eternal. He does not die. He has always existed. And that's good news, especially for us who don't have parents, is that we do have a father who is eternal. So that's everlasting. He's always, he's always with us. What does it mean then that Jesus is the everlasting father? Here's the first thing. It means that Jesus has a fatherly care towards us. In John chapter 14, verse 18, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And here's what he says. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, right? This, in this moment in the gospel of John, Jesus is about to, to be betrayed, crucified, die and rise again. And he's telling his disciples, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will return. So here Jesus is speaking in fatherly terms that he will not leave them as orphans. So Jesus, in one sense, as the everlasting father, has a fatherly care towards his people. Now the second, and we're going to spend most of our time this morning on, on this aspect. The second uh, aspect of Jesus as the everlasting father means that Jesus is the one who reveals the father to us. 
Jesus as the everlasting father reveals the father to us. The only way that we can know God the father is through God the son. Now, where do we get that? John 14. John 14, verse 6 through 11. I'm just going to read this uh, passage. I think we should have a slide for that. Here's what it says. Verse 7. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works. So, here's what Jesus is saying, right? Is that the way we know God, the Father, is only through knowing God the Son. Jesus reveals the Father to us. So again, Jesus is not the Father, but he reveals the Father to us, and he's the only way that we can know the Father. That's why uh, we want people to know Jesus, because that's the only way to know the Father. That's why we want kids to know Jesus, because that's the only way to know the Father. So that's the Trinity. Three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but one God. And you're like, I can't wrap my mind around it. And of course we can't. We can't fully understand the mystery of the Trinity. That's like trying to take a hydro flask and fill up that hydro flask, fill up the entire Pacific Ocean with our hydro flask. There's no way we can scoop up the entire Pacific Ocean with the hydro flask. Just like we cannot fully wrap our minds around the Trinity, that God is one God but three persons, but yet we can know some about him because God has revealed it to us in his word. So Jesus reveals the Father to us. And so what we're going to do this morning is spend most of our time in Luke 15. That was a really long introduction. We're going to spend our time in Luke 15, one of the greatest illustrations of God as our Father to us. Luke chapter 15. So let's get the context first because we want to know what's going on in this time. So Jesus is traveling and he's uh, preaching about the coming kingdom. He's healing people. He's doing miracles. And at this time, the uh, tax collectors and sinners, the people that were the outcasts of society, had been coming to Jesus. And the religious leaders of that day was seeing that and they were criticizing Jesus. They're saying, why are you spending time with, why are you accepting these people who are just rejects in the society, who are people you shouldn't be hanging out with? So the religious leaders are criticizing Jesus, that he's spending time with uh, tax collectors and sinners. And we'll, we'll think a little bit about that. And so Jesus, in response to the criticism of the religious leaders, tells three different stories. Story of, of lost sheep, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then lost sons. And what Jesus is doing here is he's teaching the religious leaders something very important. He's, what we see in these three stories is that there is something that's lost, 
What we also see is that there is the owner who's pursuing the thing that is lost. And then what we see is there's great joy and, and partying and celebration when that lost thing or person is found. And so Jesus, it's in this context where there's these religious leaders criticizing Jesus for welcoming sinners and tax collectors that Jesus gives these stories. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 15. Uh, Before verse 11, let me just read verse 1 for us. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So the the tax collectors during this time, right? You think, why, why is tax collectors, why is that such a big deal? Because Israel at this time, the Jewish people were under Roman rule, Roman occupation. They didn't want to be under Roman rule and Roman occupation, but they were the conquered people. So they had to be under Roman rule, the Roman Empire. Now, tax collectors were, were, were people within the, own, you know, the Jewish community, right? your own people, who decided to, to join the side of their occupiers, tax their own people, overtax their own people, give that money to the government that's oppressing them, as well as keep some money for themselves, and that's why they became wealthy. So they're, they're, they're on the opposite side of, of the people. Now for us, right, we live in America. We don't live in the Roman, Roman uh, society, so we just don't get like how that's appalling. Maybe we think like, oh, that's, that's, that's bad, that they, oh, that's traitorous, but we don't really get that. So I tried to think of how do I contextualize this. Okay, think of it like this. I, I, I did both sides, right? Imagine the reaction of people if Nancy Pelosi worked at Trump Tower. Here's the other side. Imagine if Donald Trump Jr. worked for Planned Parenthood. Could you see how the sides would be like, wait, what? What are you doing? Like, what? So that's the kind of like intenseness that's going on here where these tax collectors are joining the other side taxing their own people, and then keeping the money for them. So there was just great outrage and anger. So the belief back then was these people do not deserve God's love. These people do not deserve God's blessing. These people should not be involved in the worship of God. So the fact that Jesus would welcome them to the religious leaders were like, that's just unheard of. And so they were judging Jesus because Jesus' association with the other side, right? The sinners and the tax collectors. So that's what's going on here. And so in response to that, Jesus gives these three stories. And so we're going to land in in the third story in, in, in Luke 15. So let's start there in verse 11. And so again, the main goal this morning as we look at God our Father is that we would see the loving, affectionate embrace of God, our Father. And that would lead us to come out of hiding. That would lead us to have affections and deep emotions for God, our Father. So Jesus gives this story. He says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property on reckless living. So the younger son, he demands his inheritance. And that's a third of the father's possessions, what the father owned. The older brother in that society, the oldest son, 
would receive two-thirds of the inheritance. And that, that's just the way they operated back then. So the younger son gets his inheritance. And basically, you would get your inheritance when your father died. So the fact that the younger son is asking for his inheritance, in a sense, he's saying, I, I wish you were dead because I want my inheritance already. And so the father gives it to him. The father gives him his inheritance and the younger son takes it. And notice it's, it, Jesus says he goes far away to a distant, far country and he blows uh, his inheritance. You see, the younger son uh, wanted a type of freedom that thought would give him true freedom. That type of freedom is being away from God's good, or the father, I should say, the father's good authority. That's like a fish. That type of freedom is like a fish saying, I don't want to live in water anymore. I want to live on the land. So I'm going to live on the land. What happens with a fish trying to live on the land? It's going to die. But the fish can say, well, I want that. That's my definition of freedom. So that's, that's how I feel like I should live. Fish goes on land, the fish dies. Why? Because the fish was created to flourish in water. We as humanity were created to flourish under the beautiful authority and rulership of God. That's how we were meant to flourish. And when we decide to live as our own independent kings and queens of our own lives, we will die. Right? And that's what humanity has chosen. That's why Jesus had to come. So this younger brother thought that true freedom was away from the good authority and presence of the father. And he lives it up. And, and it was good for a while, right? Living it up, just spending uh, uh, money on pleasures. It feels good for a while. Sin can feel good, but it never does last. And so he spends all of it in reckless living. And it goes on in verse 14 says this, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now we think, okay, this is bad. This guy hit rock bottom, right? Just bank account is all spent. But this is way worse than, than what we can, can understand as 21st century Westerners, right? Here's the thing, right? For this Jewish son to work with pigs, right? The, the Jews believed that pigs were unclean animals. And to, to touch a pig was to make yourself unfit to worship. So you couldn't go to the temple to worship. You couldn't be participating in the community of worshipers. You were an outcast. You were considered unclean. So for this younger son to be at such a low point that he was willing to be unclean ritualistically, meaning that he couldn't worship with the community anymore, he would be an outcast, even amongst his own people, shows us just how low he went. Right? The people of Jesus' day, the audience would have been like, what? He's working with the pigs, this unclean animal? That's just the lowest of the lows. And, and he hit rock bottom here. He was just working with the unclean animals. In verse 17, so it says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father. And I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So we have to remember, why is Jesus telling this story? Because we can make a whole bunch of stuff up with this story. But we have to remember, why is Jesus 
giving this story because he's telling it to the religious leaders, right? He's showing that this younger son is like the tax collectors and sinners who messed up big time, sinned majorly against God, but yet they're coming, they want to return to him and they're coming to Jesus. So that's why Jesus is telling this story. So the younger son realizes, you know what? The servants have it better than me now. The best place to be is in the father's house. And so he starts thinking about how he's going to come back. I need to work and earn my way back to the father. So he's kind of creating his, you know, I will do these different things. And you guys understand how it is, right? When, when you're growing up as a kid or if you're a kid here, um, when you do something wrong, like when you get bad grades, you kind of think about what you'll say to your parents to lessen the intensity. You'll think, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to promise to do chores. I'm going to promise to clean my room. I'm going to promise to not fight with my siblings. So we'll have a list of things that we're going to tell our parents right before we tell them we messed up. And they know we messed up. So we kind of come up with a list of ways to work our way back to our parents' favor. And so that's what this younger son is doing. He's thinking he will be treated as a hired servant. And here's what that means, is he's not even considering himself a servant of the household. Because in those days, if you were a servant of a household, you gain the protection and the provision of that family. If you're a hired servant, you don't get that, that, that family feel. You're an outsider. So what the son is basically saying is, I'll start as an outsider. I'm willing, I want to come back to the father, and I'm willing to just be an outsider, a hired hand. Not even a servant who's part of the family, a hired hand. See verse 20. It goes on, and he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Have you ever had someone run to you? after you messed up royally. It ever happened to you where you know you just messed up big time and the person that you hurt, the person that you sinned against is the one that runs to you and embraces you. Have you I've, I've never experienced that in my life. God is unlike any person that we can ever know. He's running to the son that totally messed up against him. And for some of us, you know that when a Middle Eastern father in that time era who wore long robes that covered his legs, you don't run. You don't run, number one, because you're in a long robe. Right? For, for ladies, when you wear dresses, you, know, you don't run. <laughs> you, don't, you don't run it because it's cumbersome. But not only that, it's embarrassing because in order to run as, as, a, as a man in that time, you would have to lift up your robes and you would expose your legs, which was, was a shameful practice back then. And so the father is embarrassing himself. He could have waited for the son to return, but he's embarrassing himself in order to be in a rush to welcome home his younger son. Has anyone in your life ever embarrassed themselves because they were in a rush to forgive you? To forgive you. Oh, people will wait for me to ask for forgiveness, but will embarrass themselves, go out of their way and rush to forgive me? Never happened. Said with God. Jesus is teaching us the heart of the Father. 
the heart of the father. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. The father doesn't even address the son's comments. He immediately restores the son to his position. And that's by giving him his robe. Verse 23, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. They began to celebrate. So this story was given to the religious leaders because the sinners and tax collectors were returning to God. And they were doing that through coming to Jesus. And they were being welcomed just as the father had welcomed uh, the younger son. Jesus was welcoming the sinners and the tax collectors. And the religious leaders did not have the same values as Jesus. They were not celebrating that the sinners and tax collectors were returning to God. They were, in fact, angry about it. And so that's where the story doesn't end here. The story continues with the older brother because it was going to show the religious leaders who they were like. So let's read on. The older brother in verse 25. Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And then verse 28. But he was angry. Again, he's not celebrating. He doesn't have the same heart as the father and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Right? This is the religious leaders. They were doing all the outward things that a religious person should do. They were going to church. They were serving. They were giving. Uh, They were doing spiritual disciplines. They read the scrolls, God's word. They did all those things, yet they were so far from the Father. How about us? Is serving God slavery? This morning, is it in our minds slave work to serve the Lord? Are we bitter when it comes to serving the Lord? Are we wanting to do the minimal when it comes to serving the Lord? That might show us that we're the older brother. We've forgotten why we do what we do, why we serve God. And notice what he says here, right? He wanted to celebrate with his friends. That's interesting. He doesn't want to celebrate with the father because the father wasn't the one he cared for. It was his friends. It's his friends. It goes on, and, and let's look at the father here. And here's the fatherly heart. Man, if I was the dad, I'd be like, go to your room, man. You get nothing. You get nothing. Like, you don't even know. That's me, and I'm a sinner. But this is going to teach us about God the Father. But when this son, I think there should be a verse right before that. Let me go back to the text. In verse, um, 
Yeah, that's good. But he was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Or he was begging him. Begging him to come back. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, here's the father, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now is found. So maybe this morning, maybe for some of us, we're the older brother. Like where, if you were to fit yourself in the story, this story today, where, where would you fit in? Would you be the younger brother who right now is like, I'm only at church because I'm just filling some kind of quota, but really I want to just live my own life. I don't want God to be my authority. I just want to do what I want to do. Maybe we're like the younger brother and we think that true freedom is by doing whatever we want. And we're just here because we'd be forced to be here or we're guilted to be here. Well, the father pursues the younger son. But not only that, the father pursues the older son too because both sons were lost. Maybe for some of us, we're the older brother, right? We're doing all the right things. We're faithful to our family members. We're hard workers at the workplace. We care for our neighbors. We serve in multiple areas in the church, but we're super frustrated and angry because we didn't get that promotion at work, because we didn't experience good relationships that we think we deserve, or we're still stuck in crummy relationships, or we're still sick physically or mentally. God has not come through. And that's because we have a works-based view of God. We think that if we do, then God will bless us. If we're good enough, then God will give us what we want. That's the, that's the view of, of the older brother. He thought that, it, that, that the father was kind of like Santa Claus. If you're nice, you get the gifts. If you're naughty, you don't get it. And so he was working and doing outwardly all the right things, but it showed his motivation was wrong because when he didn't get what he thought he deserved, he got angry and bitter. But here's the thing. Those things that he wants and though the things that we want do not give us what we really need, do not give us the lasting joy and satisfaction that only the presence of God can give. Notice what the father says to the older son. He says, you're always with me. The emphasis that the father places on the son is the presence of the father. The presence of the father. See, both sons, the younger son and the older son, had a wrong view of the father. And maybe this morning, we too have a wrong view of God the father. And it could be because of our family upbringing, our biological fathers. Again, even for those of us who had good fathers, they're not God and they're not perfect. So in a sense, all of us have daddy issues. And what we need is the Bible to teach us who the father really is. And what we see here is both sons had the wrong view of God. They thought that their relationship with God, or the father, I should say, is based upon their performance. 
their performance. The younger son thought, if I work hard enough, I'll be accepted back into the family as a hired servant. That's a wrong view of the father. The older son thought, it's based upon what I do that I get blessed by the father. And that's a wrong view of the father. They both thought it was about their efforts that got blessing. And that's not what the father, who the father is. When Jesus is teaching the religious leaders and those who are with him is that there's nothing we can do to earn the father's acceptance. We can try to be the best parent, spouse, family member, worker, all we want. But none of that could be good enough to be accepted into the family of God. Accepted by the Father. It is only received as a gift through Jesus. And that's good news. That's why Jesus had to come. Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago to live, to die, and to rise again because we all were like the younger son. We all decided that we're going to be our own masters of our lives, our own kings and queens, right? We, we, we experienced that from when we were born, right? One of the first words of a child is mine, right? I am the king. I am the queen. We have all, all humanity has chosen, like the younger son, to live independent from our maker. And God would be absolutely just to just leave us in that distant country. And, and, and we would be judged forever because of our choice to rebel against our creator. But in his great love, he sent us Jesus to live that perfect life of obedience as the son of God to the father. And then to die on the cross, not because he did anything wrong, but to die for our rebellion against God, for our choosing to squander and waste all that God has given us on our own selves. And for every person who trusts God, trust in Jesus as their savior to save them from their sins and as their king, who is the rightful ruler, is freely brought into the family of God and experiences the intimacy and the passionate pursuit of God in our lives. It's receiving it as a gift and continuing to just enjoy that gift all the days of our lives. So here's what I want to encourage us as we close. It's because God is Father. Because he passionately pursues broken, messed up sinners like you and like me. What that means for us is we can come out of hiding. This morning, you've just been hiding. Like you can put on the church face, but really you know that you're far from God. And you think, oh, I got to start doing more good deeds. I need to start doing some kind of penance, some kind of good deeds to get me back in God's favor. That, that's, that, that doesn't get us back in God's favor. He already sees us, and we simply need to turn to him. We can come out of hiding because he is the father that runs out to us and embraces us in our mess. Just as the father embraced the smelly, stinky, younger son working in the mud, unclean with the pigs, our heavenly father right, embraces us because of Jesus. So maybe this morning, if you've been hiding from God, 
we can come out. Because he's not out to strike us down. He's out to embrace us and give us his intimacy. For others of us, maybe it's not that. Maybe this morning, what, what, what this means for us is we can experience now intimacy with God in his presence where we were trying to just serve God to get stuff from him. Maybe we're like the older brother. Maybe this morning we're, we're super mad and dissatisfied because things aren't going our way. But the greatest gift God gives us is himself. And this morning it's believing that and then asking God to grow us in an intimacy with him. And that, might just, that just might mean going away, spending time alone and just thinking about this story. Thinking about the father running and racing towards the younger son. Thinking about the father pleading with the older son and just having the word of God teach us what fatherhood really looks like. Made it for others of us. We're, we are enjoying God, but we want to grow in even deeper intimacy with him this morning. And so we're going to spend just a, a time before we respond in singing, just a short time in prayer, just between us and God. And I want to encourage us to ask God that he would continue to reveal himself as father to us. And that our intimacy with him would grow. And even our affections and emotions. Maybe for some of us, our emotions are just, it's just not even there. When we hear God the Father, there's no affection or emotions. And asking that as the word of God sinks deeper into us, our affections for him would grow more and more. And so let's just spend a moment now in just quiet prayer, just between you and God. I encourage you, even as you begin praying, to follow the Lord Jesus' example and, and just say, Father. Start with that, Father. So let's go ahead and pray to our Heavenly Father.